It's goosebump time in Oxford, Mississippi. What's up? It's Podcast Rebellion. We are back at it again here in the Second Line studio. Coming to you as the PGA Championship is underway at TPC Harding Park in the Bay Area. I'm your host, Zach Barry. Joining me, Nicholas Carr, Benjamin Woodhouse. Gentlemen, welcome in. How are we feeling about uh, the cat right now? Oh, man. Ben, you were talking about it earlier. I mean, he, he, he looks locked in. He does uh, unexpectedly for me. I did not, you know, was not expecting Tiger to be playing uh, this well. Now I know there are just three or four holes in, but um, he missed a, a short putt. He's missed two short putts um, in, in the first four holes, but his irons are so good, so good right now that um, uh, it looks like, you know, he, he could contend this week. If you needed any more indication, any more, uh, I guess, um, validity to the movement or any kind of you know, that little extra nudge to do your part and to be smart and wear a mask, uh, Tiger Woods wears one, so you should too. Um, with that, we're talking about being smart. Uh, we do have a uh, guest with us here today. Uh, we welcome in AP Sports reporter out in uh, the AZ, Mr. David Brandt. Welcome in. That was quite a segue right there. I don't know if uh, you should, you know, <laughs> smart. I, I've been described many things. I don't know okay. if that's been. I worked on there, it all but... morning, David. <laughs> no, that was good stuff. <laughs> okay. But uh, th- thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, you're obviously out in Phoenix now. You're, you're covering a lot of baseball, um, covering some NBA out there as well. I know you're, you're, um, you've been to actual baseball games. So uh, we've seen it on television. Uh, I've actually just being so sports starved i pay attention to more braves games than i normally do but as someone that's there in person with no fans and uh these you know social distancing protocols in place what what is it like i mean you know especially the first couple were were really strange i mean obviously it's you know everybody kind of talks about the weird piped in fan noise and that is weird but it's almost weirder to have total silence so i understand why uh they they pipe in a little bit of crowd noise and there's some they especially at chase field because usually you know the the roof is closed because it's 263 degrees here every day um you know when somebody gets upset and pops out the f bombs just echo off the walls i mean you can hear them everywhere they're they're pretty incredible um but you know it, it's you know everybody wears masks everybody sits up in the press box and there's you know not many people cover the games i mean like last night i did an astros diamondbacks game and there were really only three riders there total for both teams there was ap the the houston chronicle and the arizona republic so you know a lot of places have scaled back it's pretty you know they do a good job of spacing everybody out and everybody's doing the best they can but uh it's it's kind of strange, but you know, now that we're about 11 or 12 games in for most teams, I I think everybody's sort of getting used to the rhythm and how, how it kind of works. When they, when they they space you out, like a major league game. Well, real quick, Nick, I want to ask when they space you out, when you, you mentioned the, the Houston Chronicle, do they request, uh, I guess, to be spaced out (laughs) closest to the trash can or how does that work? (laughs) 
had to get a had to get a trash can joke in there. Um, no, that there's there's no uh, trash can proximity requirements okay, okay. for for the media. But I understand your your point. Yeah. Well, so I was going to say, I mean, does it feel like a major league game? And and alternatively, you know, did it feel any different when the Astros came to town? I mean, I know it did when the Dodgers played the Astros early in the season. But I'm curious to see if you can kind of feel. Uh, does it feel like a big league atmosphere at all there? I mean, yes and no. I mean, the action on the field is obviously, you know, if you can just kind of, and the players kind of talk about this too, when you zero in on the game and the action, you know, the players are still throwing 96 miles per hour. People are still competing really hard and everything. But I really was, I don't know if I appreciated as much really for any sport, but especially baseball, since that's what I'm covering right now, just how much the crowd dynamic adds to a big league game, even if it's not a monstrous crowd, you know, the diamondbacks draw. Okay. But like on a, you know, a Tuesday afternoon game or a Wednesday, you know, one ten game, you know, there's only probably 15 or 20,000 people in the stands. It's not like packed, but just the, the ambiance of baseball is, is a big deal. And I'm sure that's the, the deal with all the other sports too. So it's just, it's, it's almost like you're watching an incredibly high level, American Legion baseball tournament or something like that, you know, with like 11 people and, you know, foul balls will ricochet among the, the chairs. And like you've got the Arizona Diamondbacks general manager, Mike Hazen out there, like chasing down foul balls and stuff like that. It's, it's a weird dynamic off the field, but if you just focus on the field, I mean, you know, the guys are still really awesome at baseball. So that part is, is pretty normal, but yeah, there's, I, I think I underestimated how much the ambiance of, of the crowd, you know, not just even the noise, but just the, the feel, the chatter, the buzz, it's just not there. And it, it's definitely weird at first. I was going to ask Ben if he ever experienced this in his playing days. It reminded me of when we would play in tournaments in Chattanooga and you'd randomly have a game scheduled at the historic Ingalls Stadium. I don't know if y'all are aware of of Ingalls Stadium, but uh, it's famous for um, the lookouts played, the Chattanooga lookouts played there until like 99 or 2000, and then they got a new field. But um, it's mostly famous for Babe Ruth played in a game there. Um, But we would always play there. I mean, it's, it's a nice it's a decent stadium it's not nice it's not really you know it's not upgraded at all but it was just really cavernous and you know when you'd go you'd have each team would have their parents there and that was it and you know and it's a travel tournament so it's not like every parent is there so yeah foul balls hitting chairs and you know echoing and then you you ha- everything is amplified like if you have anybody in the bullpen when they're when they're getting warmed up you know the mitt pop echoes everywhere and then you've got you know coaches yelling out instruction everything it, yeah just i feel like in a major league stadium where sound can really settle in like you said f bombs any kind of four letter words are going to be heard everywhere i mean watching the the PGA Championship today, you know, it's not in a stadium, but they have everybody mic'd up, and yeah, Tiger hit one real fat, and just absolutely, uh, no curse word, but you could just hear everything like exactly, like you were were standing right there. Sounds like practice. Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting. It's changed the dynamic, too, I think, between the teams on the field, because you used to be able to do like a 
somewhat decent amount of chirping from the dugout, like whatever team. And the other team couldn't really hear what you were saying. But now everybody can kind of hear what everybody else is saying. And I've heard that, too, with the umpires. Like yesterday, um, one of the Astros got called out on a check swing that was close. And you could hear the Astros chirping from the dugout a little bit. You could hear the umpire from the first base side. That that whole conversation back and forth, um, it's just kind of fascinating. It's sort of, you know, an inside look. I mean, you know what's going on. I mean, you know, you can read lips pretty easily, but you could actually hear the conversations. And it's it's I think it has just been an adjustment for everybody so far. Well, what kind of access are you guys getting to the players? I mean, I can't imagine if you're seeing them in person that you're very close to them. Oh, well, that's I mean, you know, like I talked about, there aren't many people there in person, even reporters, because really we don't get any extra access that anybody else can get on Zoom calls. Like I could I could literally do this job right in these days from home, like 98 percent of it. Um, You get the Zoom calls. It's all kind of regimented. You get, you know, just like on a normal baseball game day, you would get the manager beforehand. You the clubhouse would be open and you'd have access and then post game kind of same thing. Um, now they just do it with zoom calls. You always get the manager pregame on zoom. You don't get as many players pregame, but they'll bring one or two players in if you want them for, for pregame and then same kind of deal for postgame. And so, you know, I, I think especially a lot of older reporters who are, you know, might be more high risk. I mean, it makes sense. Just do it from home. And so really the only thing you get from being at the game is I do think there's value, again, to seeing it in person. If you're watching batting practice, you see who's hurt, who's not, what to ask for. It's kind of like watching, you know, college football practice. Like, what's the value in that? Well, you see who's in a boot. You see who might be, you know, running with the first team or the second team. And so that's kind of the value with this. But as far as like access to players, no, there's there's nothing that you can't get on Zoom. Nick, I think you had one last thing. You're probably on mute. No, that was my last. Yeah, I apologize. No, that well, that was that was my last question. But moving to NBA, I mean, so you, you said that you've you've kind of covered the uh, the Phoenix Suns a little bit. How? How different is it? I mean, are, are you in the the booth up at uh, you know the Diamondbacks the, the game watching uh, the the Suns game on TV, or, or are you able to kind of cover both at the same time because you're not you don't have to be at the Suns game? Well, you'll see, it's interesting how we do the NBA. I don't know how much you guys know about this, but you know that the NBA has allowed like ten reporters, like total, into the into the bubble. Like they are actually in the bubble, they're in the hotel, they get tested every day, all that stuff. And so we have one reporter, one of our national NBA writers, his name's Tim Reynolds, he's based in Miami. Um, he is actually in the bubble. And so he goes to games and he does, he can't do all of them, obviously, because there's five or six regular season games a day. But he's kind of the point man for all of our NBA coverage. And because Phoenix has started hot, they've won their first three games and, and have a chance possibly to get into the West conference playoffs you know he's done a few stories on them but as far as game coverage basically the ap has uh 
kind of a, a desk of three or four people nationwide that are watching the games and covering them off TV. And sometimes I might cover the Suns. Sometimes it might be somebody else because we're just doing kind of short game stories off of it. But, you know, we have the writers will email each other, you know, the Zoom links and the calls and we'll just get on and get the quotes and and do it that way because there's really not much other way to do it. And so I've done a few of the Suns games and I'll do like, you know, the between games availabilities and stuff like that, like all that stuff's emailed. And if, if news comes up, if something interesting happens, you know, I'll still do Suns stories. But it's really it's been kind of an all hands on deck approach, especially for um, NBA and NHL, just because of the hub approach. But the NHL is kind of the same way. We've got one of our writers is in the hub in Toronto, um, but we don't have anybody in Edmonton. And so, you know, and we there's <laughs> I'm kind of getting in the weeds right now, but the Associated Press has a counterpart in Canada that's called the Canadian Press. And they can kind of help us out with the games involving Canadian teams. And so they're helping and there's a desk kind of in the same way with the NBA. So it's it's a way different approach. Like even for somebody like the AP, we're kind of making it up as we go. And I think it actually has worked out pretty well, but it, it's definitely a new dynamic. So what are you guys doing for you said that the AP had someone in Toronto, but obviously the Coyotes or Coyotes, excuse me, the, the Coyotes would be in in Edmonton, uh, they're actually taking on the, the Predators, Zach. Um, so, but so, so, what what are you guys doing for Coyote coverage? Well, that's what I mean. Like we have, just like the NBA, we have an NHL desk, and there's three or four um, reporters that that handle that. And actually, in Phoenix, we have two full-time writers. There's me and a guy named John Marshall, and I do mostly Cardinals, Suns. And Diamondbacks, he does mostly Coyotes, Arizona State, Arizona. And so he's kind of in charge of the Coyote stuff, and he's been the one, you know, doing the kind of remote coverage. So since it's mm-hmm. Nashville versus Arizona, that's an American series, obviously. So usually it would be somebody in the desk back here handling. So it, it's not ideal, and everybody understands that this. But I, I have to say the teams have been pretty good. I don't know how it's been on the hockey side um, personally, but I, I get the emails. I mean, it seems like all the Zoom calls – it's it's fairly normal except for everybody's on a screen instead of in person yeah so okay one last follow-up and i know we're kind of in the weeds here on 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 this coverage but i'm curious let's say that the suns have an improbable run devin booker keeps putting up 40 a game and they they're in the western conference finals versus the lakers would you guys try and send someone else down to orlando to kind of cover that or what would have y'all have y'all even talked about that? I mean, it's a long ways out. I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I mean, we've had all those discussions. I just I don't think the deal is, is even if we wanted to send extra people, we can't like I mean, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, there's only 10 people allowed in the bubble. I think there is a limit excuse me, a limited amount of people that are allowed in the stadium for game day. They're like, you know, put way up top so they don't or close to anybody or anything. So there's limited value in having more than that one person there. And when I talk about 10 reporters, you know, we're talking about the AP has one ESPN has one. I'm sure the athletic has one, you know, Mm. I think the LA times is there. The New York times is there, but there's only, you can only have one person essentially like every there's, there's 10 spots nationally and kind of the big 10, 
the 10 biggest outlets that wanted to go get the spots. I'm sure USA Today is there, you know, stuff like that. So um, I I would love to go. I actually volunteered like if if our guy needed uh, if Tim Reynolds needed, uh, you know, a a break from being there eight or nine weeks, you can sub people out and stuff like that. And so that's I, I think I'm like third in line it's sort of you know like the 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 line for the presidency i'd be like the president pro temp or something like that a lot would have to go wrong for me to go to the bubble hey um you tell us who we need to pick off we'll do it (laughs) no yeah no it would i i just think it would be an incredible experience but uh yeah Yeah, i mean you know there's really only one of us who can be there at a time and so you know even if the suns made that run i'm sure i'd be helping from afar you know with zoom calls and, and different things like that but yeah, I mean, unless something changed dramatically with the, you know, the way COVID is going in the United States, I can't see that happening in the next like six to eight weeks. Um, you know, they're going to keep that bubble pretty tight. Last mm-hmm. last thing here on the NBA, David, before we uh, talk some college football on the other side, do you think that Magic City is really missing an opportunity here to provide uh, like free Uber Eats to anyone that wants to try their wings? <laughs> That I, I think a lot of people are intrigued by these wings now. That's been the talk of everybody. It's like, these wings must be incredible. Um, I, I think that if they're not advertising, at least in the Atlanta area, they should be because, I, I mean, they <laughs> that's, that was such a hilarious story. But I, I, I know I'm intrigued by these wings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, like I said, uh, we're going to talk some college football on the other side. We're going to hear from our sponsors real quick. And when we come back more with – the AP's David Brandt. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments, part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials, 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something. The place is amazing. 
That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out their rooftop bar, which is super awesome. has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon, a very small batch High Rye Bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high rye bourbons. So you could do that or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend. And then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic. And, as always, OD encourages you to share a sip responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, Inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. Nick, Ben, myself, uh, Zach, and then we have David Brandt of the Associated Press here with us. David, I know you're uh, you're out there in Arizona, uh, which I will say, not to uh, not to slight uh, the Pac-12 program out there, uh, the Sun Devils are kind of on a uh, somewhat of a hot streak here in recruiting. I don't know how much you keep up with that, but Herm Edwards. And uh, his uh, his sneaky, sneaky, really, really, really good staff are doing pretty well in recruiting right now. But you're no longer in the SEC region, SEC area, SEC footprint. But um, I, I guess you're still part of the national media. You're still talking to a lot of people in the national media. What are you hearing right now about college football, about uh, conference-only schedules? Is there anything that – that uh, that you might have heard that we haven't heard yet. I don't know about that. I uh, I, I mean, as far as you know, what you guys have heard or anything. I mean, I, I think I, you know, I'm still involved with it a little bit, and the dynamics are slightly different from the Pac-12 to the SEC. And I think it really has kind of it's almost every conference for themselves at this point. Um, I I do just generally speaking, I do appreciate what the SEC is doing as far as trying to buy as much time as possible and kind of letting other people test the waters a little bit before they really dive headfirst into games on September 26th. And so, you know, I think everybody, you know, the general consensus I get from 
you know, people I talk to, things I read, all these different things is that everybody really wants this to happen, but it, everything's just so up in the air. Everybody's trying to buy as much time as possible to see how this can work. And I think that at times baseball, major league baseball has been sort of a barometer for how this could or could not possibly work. Cause you know, the NBA and NHL are so different because they're in those bubble environments. They don't go anywhere, but major league baseball, you have guys traveling, not all over the country, but in their 10 team pods, you know, regionally across the country, which is exactly what these SEC football teams would be doing or, or Pac-12 football teams. So I, I think that you've seen the good and the bad, obviously, with the Marlins having the outbreak, it really threw a wrench into everything. The Cardinals had a smaller outbreak, but you see these ripple effects, how it doesn't just affect the Marlins, it affects several other teams and how scheduling gets complicated and everything like that. And so, uh, but I think you've, you're also encouraged because really 28 out of the 30 major league teams have had really no problems so far since they got into camp. They might like the Diamondbacks had a couple guys test positive early, but once they got them in camp and kind of got them in the, not a total bubble, but you know, in, in their little circle, they haven't had any positive tests. And so I, I think it's sort of a, again, a standard for how it could work with college football. Of course, colleges, you're complicating the issue by the fact they're on campuses with lots of other kids. Um, they're 18 to 22 year olds. And it's, you know, it's hard enough to get major league baseball players who are mostly in their twenties and early thirties to, you know, essentially not socialize for three months, four months. It's going to be even harder to do that for college students. So the dynamics are slightly different, but I, I think that baseball at least so far, and this could change in the next like 30 minutes, you know, the way the news is going these days, but has has shown a roadmap that it is feasible to not have a bubble and still be able to keep people fairly safe. So the Pac-12 has come out, and I know the uh, we're taping this on Thursday. The ACC came out with their schedule today. The Big Ten came out with their schedule on Wednesday. I believe the Pac-12 came out last week. There's a pretty big game, at least in your neck of the woods, at the beginning of the schedule, Arizona, Arizona State, and, and I know they matched up a bye week later in the season in case they were unable to, to get that game in. But I think the hope is is that the same with USC and UCLA, that, hey, if we're only able to play a couple games this year, we're going to be able to get some important ones in, some you know ones that are, are kind of more nationally relevant at least. Uh, hey, have you guys started thinking about the, the plan? It's seven weeks out, I think, from this Saturday. So, I mean, you're it's not right around the corner, but it, it, it's near there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a that's a big deal around here. And so and and like you've talked about some of the teams, I think this is kind of off track. But, you know, when Herm Edwards got hired at Arizona State, I was obviously still in Mississippi. And it it seemed like that would not end very well. It, it just seemed like Herm did not quite understand, you know, the way the college game worked and if he would be. But he's he's been low key, a really good hire at Arizona State. And I think he's he's really good at knowing the things he knows and then delegating to others, surrounding himself with a good staff. And you talked about his recruiting. Um, you know, they've got that quarterback, Jalen Daniels, that everybody really likes. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, Arizona State is one of those teams that obviously you've got to be healthy. You've got to be. But it would it would be a shame for Arizona State if they couldn't play this year just because there's a lot of people really looking forward to, to what they could do. Um, this season. But yes, I agree. You know, it just it creates interesting dynamics with you know, has the sec released their schedule yet they haven't yet right no, no it, yet. it 
It's coming any day now, though. Yeah, I knew it was coming soon, but it'll be interesting like with the Egg Bowl. The Egg Bowl has obviously always been around Thanksgiving. And, you know, some people, especially when tensions were real high between the programs, said that that wasn't always the best thing because there was just so much buildup for it that if you put the Egg Bowl in like the third week of the season, it wouldn't be quite as easy to to get so – amped up for it because you'd have games before and after and maybe it would diffuse tensions a little bit i don't know if that's the case i still think that's a big game no matter when you play it you could play it in the middle of april and it would be a big deal but um you know it'll just it adds a dynamic you know college football and a lot of other sports major league baseball to another degree has done things for years just because that's the way you do them and sometimes Sometimes that's a really good thing. I'm not against, you know, tradition as far as scheduling or the number of games or when games are. But I I think that sometimes it can kind of open your eyes to something that like, hey, this actually works. You know, like I think the I don't know if it's here to stay, but the runner on second base in the in extra innings and 10th and beyond is interesting. I don't know. It's certainly a big deviation from what they've done in the past, but it does make things pretty exciting and kind of adds an extra layer um, to strategy and, and different things like that. So I, I think sometimes you look at things like that stuff that you think would be just horrible and really it doesn't turn out to be all bad. So I think the same thing with college football could happen with scheduling. Um, I, I think maybe some teams might like the idea of playing a bigger college or a bigger conference schedule. Um, I don't know if they'll go to 10 games, but you know, maybe go to nine or something like that, like the big 10 does. So I, I think that sometimes you need seismic events. Unfortunately, this time it's been a pandemic, um, but you have to have major things happen to shake things up in sports. And hopefully they'll be good and, and not bad, at least in the long term. Talking about rivalry games and how the Arizona-Arizona State game, I know Nick alluded to that being early. I think that, especially this season, everybody should just kind of go with the El Asico model and just play rivalry games either week one or week two and just, you know, we don't know how many games they're going to get in this year. They might get in all ten. They might get in four. Um, just go ahead and make that first week, that week one or week two, just completely bonkers and just do all the rivalry games. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and David, I don't know how familiar you are with El Asico. It's the, I guess the, <laughs> the, 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 I guess the real term. Now it's on Wikipedia. El Asico is on Cy-Hawk. Wikipedia. The Cyhawk Trophy, oh. Iowa, Iowa State. It is not going to be played this year because the Big Ten is doing conference only. Um, but Iowa, Iowa State has always played, um, and I say always, since 1977, they have played their game in the month of September outside of 2001 when they played at the end of the season. But they usually play, Nick, you can check me here, it's usually week one or week two. And that was, yeah, that was going to say, that was 9-11, that was week two. They had to move right. it to the back of the season. Right. And I, I think, too, if you, if you added, I guess you'd have all the off-season buildup but like today, you know, as we're speaking, August 6th, if you just came out and said, oh, oh, by the way, the Ole Miss MSU games in five weeks, there's only so much hatred that could happen in five weeks, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's an interesting idea. I think it would be good to try. And, yeah, people would be angry about it for a while, but people get over it. I mean, you know, if you could, if you could, the the social media backlash. I mean, I'm sure people would scream and moan and traditions and all these things. And and I'm not saying again. I think the Thanksgiving thing is kind of cool too in its own right. But I I think there is something interesting to having 
a rivalry game early because, you know, you just it makes it I think at least it makes it more unlikely to have big fights and different things like that, because then you're screwing up the rest of your season. Like the way the Egg Bowl usually works, except for like that stretch between 2013 and 2016, usually at least (laughs) one of those teams doesn't have much to lose as far as, you know, doing a fake PP in the end zone or, you know, or fighting, you know, different things. I mean, you're inviting crazy things to happen when there's basically not as many consequences afterwards for your team. So maybe that would be a good thing. But then again, I I think the, you know, the, the egg bowl on Thanksgiving week, it provides a lot of entertainment too. So either, I don't think you can really lose, but I think again, in a year like this, that is so weird anyway, trying it out and seeing what happens might not be the worst thing. Is there – do you think the conference-only 10-game – now, there's really no way to know this, but I know that we've discussed it on the show, off the show. Um, I think fans are going to love it if they can get, get this season in, regardless of it being a, a pandemic-altered season and just everything being so weird. I think it's going to be hard – to get fans to go back to, you know, quote unquote normal. Do you think that the power five would ever think of staying with the 10 game conference only schedule, maybe a 10 plus one, just because of how every week there, there are no cupcakes. Every week is, uh, you know, the importance is amplified. There are no off weeks essentially with all due respect to, to Vandy and Arkansas. Yeah, I I actually do think I mean, just like with anything with with college sports or any sports, really, I mean, you follow the money. And, you know, the one person that's been on this train for a long time has been Nick Saban, you know, as far as playing bigger games, maybe eliminating, if I recall correctly, he was he was wanting to get rid of playing the, you know, the FCS teams and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so I, I think that, yes, I mean, there's always for Ole Miss and state and for pretty much every team in the country, there's always one or two games where, you know, do you really want to brave a 2 PM kickoff on September you know, 14th to watch them play Louisiana Lafayette or something like that? No respect, no disrespect to them, but that's just not a huge game. If you're going to pick a game to miss, that would be the game. And so I, I think that, again, the, the high stakes week to week, the rivalries, I, I think it makes it a lot more exciting. I, and one thing I think, and this is a lot of coaches brought this up as the conferences have gotten bigger, 12 teams, 14 teams, some some had even talked to going 16 at some point. You really instead of when you split into divisions, it's almost gotten to the point now where the SEC, at least in football, isn't even really one conference. It's like two separate mini conferences because you play. Yes, you play your six teams in your division, and those are obviously rivals. But then you have one opponent on the other side that you play all the time. But the other ones you see only once every six years, and you only go to their place once every 12 years. At that point, it's almost like a non-conference game that it happens so irregularly. So instead of you know, one big SEC, it's essentially two, you know, SEC West, SEC East, and then there's a little bit of you know, cross rivalry games, but, but not nearly as, as much. And I think with 10 games, suddenly you're playing six teams in your division and then four out of the seven on the other side, you're getting a more representative sample. I think it feels a little more like a real 
conference instead of two mini conferences. And so I, I think if this goes well, I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if a team or a conference decides to go 10 games and then, you know, a 10 plus two type thing um, where you get your one kind of FCS warm up game. Uh, then you get, you know, you can have your one out of conference rivalry game like Georgia, Georgia Tech or Clemson, South Carolina or however you want to do it. But basically you get one or two opportunities to kind of cross section it. The only thing with that is it is cool when like, you know, Ole Miss pl- is scheduled to play Baylor or something like that. I mean, I think people right. like those games, too. And of course, I think teams like Notre Had a Dame, lot of unless they join you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and Notre Dame, obviously, unless they join the ACC full time for football, you know, that that would make it very hard for them to schedule, too. So I think there's pros and cons to both. But I, I think very few people would argue that, you know, the 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 bigger the games, the more fun it is, you know, the, the more competitive. You know, I understand why coaches like to have a warm up game and why Ole Miss and, and state and, and some of the teams that are traditionally in the middle of the pack of the SEC are closer to the bottom won a few of those cupcake games to get bowl eligible. But I, I think longer term, it, it might be wise to, to go to a harder schedule. Yeah. And two, I, I think that, I mean, you've got ADs making these decisions and I, I know ADs want to make bowl games, but coaches are the ones who care about the record. I mean, obviously if you ask Keith Carter, would you rather have 10 and 0 or 10 under the answer, but ultimately he's a, he's gotta be a bottom line guy. And I think if you say, hey, Ole Miss, you're going to play 12 games, 10 SEC, you get one game that you can play whoever you want. You can play Notre Dame if you want, or you can play Tulsa. And then one other game that's got to be a Power 5 game. I feel like at the end of the day, the ADs are just going to see this massive increase in in revenue that they're going to they're going to bring in, and they're going to have to vote. And, and, and they don't – at the end of the day, they don't care really about a bowl game as much as they care about – Increasing maybe the money getting by fifteen or twenty million dollars or whatever a year, uh, you know, from from ESPN and CBS by having those extra games. I mean, can you imagine, you know, we're instead of getting Bama versus Georgia, you know, once every six years, now we're getting them three out of every six years, and you're getting, you know, Auburn versus Florida three out of every six years. I mean, it's a huge, and then you're also forcing teams like Alabama to say, hey, you know, you, you've got to play no matter what one power five game, I guess they're kind of already doing that, but they just, and people will kind of use, you know, Alabama versus Alabama state, but it's not just that Ole Miss and one of their upcoming seasons has middle Tennessee, Georgia Southern, or no, excuse me, Georgia Southern Tulsa and central Arkansas on the schedule. Well, well you know, selling that to fans, has got to be impossible to say, Hey, three sevenths of your games are going to be garbage. And so to me, you know, if you, you get, you may have one less home game, but the, I think the revenue that the conferences are going to bring in and be able to sell out the athletic directors, I think ultimately is going to be the decision in that. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It's, it's almost always follow the money. Um, I, I think there is a little self-preservation involved in the teams. You know, if you're Vanderbilt or it's, it's you know, it's really hard to find a pathway to six and six every year. Um, if, if you're playing 10 SEC or yeah, 10 SEC games. So, um, I mean, I think there's a little give and take there, but at the end, money usually wins out. And, and I still I've always questioned the value of like and this is <laughs> this is I've been to Shreveport many times, but I'm just not sure that you're really, you, you know, that a trip to the Independence Bowl is really moving the needle for anybody at, at any level. Yeah. So um, I was just about to interject and say that. Is it worth going to Legion Field? 
over playing hosting Tennessee and Georgia. You know, you know I mean, yeah, when you put it in that dynamic, I, the choice is pretty clear, <laughs> especially I think from a, I'm not I don't have the bowl contracts right in front of me. Maybe I'm misstating it a little bit, but I I would think that overall having that extra big time SEC game at your facility every year would almost always trump you know, going to Birmingham or Shreveport or really anything besides something in the, you know, the, the citrus bowl, gator bowl range. And so, um, uh, again, I think there's a lot of dynamics, but I, I do just generally speaking, why this is so fascinating is just because this is such a weird year and hope by 2021, we're back to pretty much normal. Um, and we can see what worked and what didn't and what we liked and what we didn't. And maybe it will change things for the better. That's, that's what I'm hoping for anyway. I, I think that that's kind of the silver lining approach to this. You know, also think, thinking out loud on that note, I, I, I doubt that the Independence Bowl or the Birmingham Bowl, whatever, Compass Bowl, whatever it is, they're going to cancel their, I guess, tie-ins with conferences let's say it is the sec when if the sec goes to 10 uh a 10 game league schedule and only has you know i don't know seven teams with winning records i, I don't know that shreveport's gonna say you know what we're not taking ole miss because they're five and seven when six of their losses came to top 15 SEC opponents. Uh, just thinking out loud, I think that they would, the bowl games would also scale back their require, win loss requirement. Yeah, I don't, this is one of those things that I think is kind of independent. You know, as long as the you've got the bowl games and they still have their conference tie ins, I think, I think they'll be like, knock yourselves out, play, because it almost gives more intrigue when you're playing more conference games during the season when you get out of conference in bowl games it makes it even more intriguing because there's not as much of that happening early in the season so i think it would give even more weight to an out of conference matchup making a independence bowl or or a you know a, a music city bowl even more interesting than normal david i wanted to ask you just kind of a follow-up to what we're discussing right now um, cause I know Ben's on board and I'm pretty sure Nick is as well. We've talked about this several times since the 10 game schedule came out, but yeah, I mean, I think, and this might just be more of a statement than a question. I think it is a much more attractive product to put on the field and look, maybe it's tough. Maybe Ole Miss is going to be just a perpetual six and six, seven and five team, until, you know, if and when Lane Kiffin and his staff get it rolling, start getting some really high-profile players, and things shift, and they start winning eight games, maybe sneak in a a nine-win season here and there. But I am with Ben on this. I think it is a much better – I think it's easier to sell to your fans. Like, hey, look, yeah, it's going to be – you know, an 11 a.m. kick. It's going to be a two a 2.30 kick. It might be hot, but we're getting to play the Florida Gators or, uh, you know, Georgia's in town or, you know, A&M and Jimbo Fisher and insert five-star quarterback here. They're coming to play. I think that that's much more of a pool to get people to come and to sit in the stadium to watch. And, and look, I'm talking 2021, 2022, when the pandemic is hopefully gone to where it's, you know, full capacity. But I think that that's better than 
hey, we're just going to get this quick win over UT Martin. It's going to be hot as shit, but like, sorry, we just need a win. I think it's, I think it's a better, I think that's much more of an attractive for, for TV, for TV revenue, TV markets, all that. I think it's much more attractive for them. And then I think it's, it's a better game. So I think fans will want to go. Yeah, we're not talking about you guys are old enough to remember the Jefferson Pilot game. Oh yeah, the Dave. We're not talking about yeah the the three Daves. I always love that. One of my favorite, off topic a little bit. One of my favorite pictures is after that Ole Miss upset Florida in the swamp. You know the, the the promise game with Tebow yeah. and all that stuff. There's kind of chaos on the field, and for some reason, I am walking like somewhere with purpose. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm walking. Scott Cassiola, who was at the Memphis Commercial yeah. Appeal and is now at the New York Times, he's walking. Michael Ower is walking and Dave Baker is walking. And we're all kind of going separate directions, not paying attention to each other, but we're really close to each other. And somebody snapped a picture of that. And it looks like one of those like artsy band photos where we're all like <laughs> looking out into the distance. It's the most Daniel Snowden, who worked in the SID office yeah. at Old Miss back then. He gave me the picture because he's like, I don't know where this came from, but this is hilarious. And we just all look like we're just is it like, framed in your office. No, I've, I, it's not framed, but I do have the picture still. It was hilarious. It was on my computer for a while. I got it because it was just so random. I don't know how all of us came together. Like you should, it, you know, that was back when they let you kind of walk off the field. It's right. anyway. It was great. But you yes, should submit was, it to the Louvre, David. <laughs> I, I don't know if they would accept, but yes, Fan it's submission. in my Louvre. But uh, but anyway, I, I got off track right there. But yes. That was, if you remember, that was an 11 a.m. kickoff, too. I think. It was. Yeah. I, I know Trap it was an game. early kickoff. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, so so anyway, that's proof that early games can can be memorable. But yes, I mean, there's getting to your larger point. There's no question. I've always argued this with Ole Miss and Mississippi State to a degree. And this Neil McCready says this all the time. He goes, do you want to play big boy football or not? You know what I mean? Like the big teams play big games against big time opponents and they don't take many weeks off. Do you want to play UT Martin or do you want to play Baylor in the kickoff game? Do you want to play somebody like TCU? You know, I, I think the good you can't if you really fancy yourself a high profile team and you really have aspirations of being a consistent top 15 or top 20 team, you just can't shy away from playing other big teams. That's what big teams do. And I totally understand if pretty much everybody wants to have like one warm-up game a year, kind of just to almost like a glorified scrimmage. I get that. But really, I think 10 or 11 games a year, you should be playing pretty good teams if you really think you're a national caliber level team. And if everybody else is doing it, then you have no excuses. Are, are, you, are you good enough or are you not? And I think it just kind of shows a sign of weakness sometimes I get the logic behind it, but I've always thought it sounds weak when an Ole Miss or a Mississippi State is like, well, we we need to have our wins so we can make sure we go six and six and go to Shreveport. It's like, yeah. man, that's that's not exactly I don't know if that's selling big time expectations to your fan base and, and really, you know, the message you want to send to recruits in college football. Well, I think and look, I'm everybody don't get out of your seat and and throw your phone out the window or anything. But, um, you know, I saw somebody the other day say that Ole Miss is kind of in that similar spot where Alabama was when Shula was fired and Nick Saban was hired. And there was the transition season to where 
you know, you lose to Louisiana Monroe, you lose to Mississippi State. I think they might have won seven games. I can't remember their win total, but I mean, it wasn't good. And that's when the flip, the the, the switch kind of flipped, where Nick Saban was like, "All right, we're not going to do this good old boy." Um, you know, everybody has access. Everybody gets to come and hang out at practice. Like he, he basically was like, we're not doing that bullshit anymore. We're going to run this like a professional organization and everything is going to be, you know, we're, we're, you know, going for broke. We're striving for the best and that's it. And, you know, it, it helps to have their large network and to have one of the best coaches probably in the history of college football. But, the the point remains that that was when Nick Saban decided, okay, like essentially like no more, you, you know, country club atmosphere. And I think that Ole Miss is in a critical spot right now. And now I know that COVID has put a damper on this. And I think that it's probably fair to count this as year zero for Lane Kiffin because of all the, everything going on. And there's just so many obstacles, so many variables. But I think that this is a chance for Ole Miss to really get out from their own thumb is to, you know, get out of their own way. Cause I think that's been the problem for so long. And David, I know that we, we convinced you a while back that Lane Kiffin was the guy for the job. And then now he is the head coach. Um, with Good the job season, on that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. With, uh, with the season fast approaching, I want to get your thoughts real quick on what you think of this team. And I, you, know, you don't have to give me a win loss or anything, but just cause we don't even know the schedule yet, but what do you think they can accomplish in this weird season? And then what do you think about Lane Kiffin and, and Ole Miss and the relationship moving forward? Well, first off, I totally agree with your point that I think just about every program in America is one coach, one reset away from reaching their max potential. And I agree that, you know, Alabama, Tennessee, Texas, there's a handful of programs that have more resources than others and and will always have a little bit of an advantage in that regard but there's been plenty of programs there's examples all the time you know when James Franklin went to Vanderbilt that was a pretty good program for a few years you know when Dan Mullen went Mm -hmm. to Mississippi State that was a great fit they were good for a few years Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss notwithstanding all the off the field stuff like that was a good fit they were good for a few years Um, you look even somewhere like Clemson was perpetually like eight and five and kind of underachieving and, you know, good, but not great. And then they get Dabo and suddenly they're winning national championships. And so I I think every program is one coach away, the right fit, the right thing for that area. And there may be certain ceilings for different programs, but I think in the power five conferences, I think there's, you know, I, I think most schools have the potential to be, nationally relevant and so anyway that would be what i would say about that and then as as far as old miss this year i think you're absolutely right with lane kiffin and it being year zero i mean i i think at this point you just want to see a competent you know well-run football team you want to see some young guys come out and show promise for the future and you know wins at this point are kind of just gravy Um, you know, I'll be completely honest. I know the roster a little bit, but now that I'm like the second football season removed, I don't know the depth chart quite as well as I used to. So, um, it, it, it is a tough time to come in and be a first year coach and and recruit in the middle of the pandemic. Um, I'm just interested to see what Lane Kiffin can do, especially with the adversity. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. And I know that there's been a lot of griping, uh, or I should say gripes about the recruiting. Um, 
but they have been adamant about being deliberate and taking it slow. And I think uh, after they had two commitments last week, I think they're now top 25 and average star rating, player-by-player player ranking, however you want to go about it. I think that that's kind of the the thing that we've been preaching um, with uh, Neil and myself on the soft verbal over at Rebel Grove is, look, you just, just look at – Look at the offers, look at who they're getting, and then look at the star rating, average star rating. That's because they're not taking a ton of people because you've got Tennessee who's, yeah, they've got some really talented commits right now, but they also have like 27 commits. So their their numbers are, you know, going to be higher than Ole Miss's. But, yeah, I, I don't think – Ben says it all the time. I don't think I would ever or anyone should ever worry about recruiting with Lane Kiffin and this staff because they're going to – once they have a normal, you know, they can have visits, they can have players come to campus. I don't think there's anything to worry about there. Um, I, I guess I know Nick had something. I did want to get your thoughts real quick on the defending national champions, uh, LSU. We had uh, our, our good buddy Seth Seth Galina come on with uh, Pro Football Focus, um, formerly of And the Valley Shook. Uh, I asked him what he thought about this LSU team. And I am – and look, this has nothing to do with the rivalry, David, I promise – I think that LSU is going to take a humongous step back this season. I don't think that that's too crazy to say. They lost both coordinators, the Heisman Trophy winner, and a ton of pieces on both sides of the football. I think Ed Orgeron and LSU is getting exposed this season. Do you think that that's fair? I don't even know what to think about Ed Orgeron anymore. Of (laughs) of everything that I have been surprised about in my 17-year sports writing career, I, the fact that Ed Orgeron is a national championship coach right now, I, I still, that's hard to believe. And he deserves all the credit for, for putting that together. And how about, how about this, David? How about this? Ed Orgeron got a national title before Mike Bianco did. Yeah. And I mean, with with a bullet too. I mean, like not only did Ed Orgeron get a national title, that's one of the greatest college football teams of all time. I mean, he's going to go. That was a dominant, awesome team on both sides of the ball. And to Ed's credit, he did not screw that up at all. And I mean, they had a they had a ton of talent. They had some things go their way, but they dominated people. I mean, that that semifinal game against Oklahoma was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I mean, it was you know, that was an awesome team. And so I think there's no doubt they take a step back this year. I, I think that everything came together perfectly last year. They were really talented. Joe Burrow went from being really good to awesome. Um, the coordinators were perfect. Ed did a great job, to his credit, of, of managing everything, letting people do their jobs. Um, I, You know, in LSU, always, just because it's LSU, there will be people that appear there, especially on the defensive line, who you've never heard of, who are awesome. Um, you know, they just have players. So I, I don't think they're going to be like, four and seven or something like that. But yes, I, I, I think there has been so much change and they're losing such important pieces that this feels much more like a seven and four year for them or something like that. So, you know, we'll see again, LSU always seems to kind of just people come out of the woodwork and, and are, are, are good players, but I, I think it would be foolish to expect some sort of dynasty after that much turnover at LSU. I'm afraid that their season, I mean, dude, like you said, they've just got too much talent to just bottom out. But after last year, I need them to go like, I need them to go 0 and 10 or 0 and however many games they play <laughs> just to, to counterbalance 
not not just to counterbalance LSU and, and their and their fans and stuff, but just the, the whole what we went through and then what they went through were far different experiences of Ed Orgeron. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 so my last question. Go, you know, go ahead. No, I was about to say you need them to pull a Southern Miss. Your Southern Miss is still the only yeah. FBS team <laughs> to ever win double digits and then lose double digits the next year. That's <laughs> never happened before since they went eleven and two and then zero and twelve. The Ellis Johnson experience. Yeah. Oh God. Well, I was gonna say yeah, they fired Ellis Johnson after the season down there. Yeah. Nick, I was gonna say real quick before you you hit hit David with your last one. David, last season was was equally awful because not only did you have to watch Ed Orgeron just grin like an idiot on the sideline like he's responsible for anything but all of the former Ed Orgeron needed one more year in Oxford zombies were just crawling out of their graves <laughs> oh I'm sure oh and and it, they, there were there were a lot of them like no he no he didn't he didn't need one more year he's just at LSU where you have you know 40 blue chip players and one of the best defensive coordinators in modern college football. Oh, and by the way, you have this just NFL, you know, play calling savant as your OC. Like it, it was just the, the absolute perfect storm. Like just, it was perfect. It was perfect. And Ed was able to keep his ego in check for 12 weeks. I'll give him that. I'll give him credit. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the, I, and I do think, you know, all jokes aside, I do think Ed Orgeron learned, from his tenure at Ole Miss and, and and has tried to moderate and still is far from perfect, but has moderated some of his tendencies to try to take things over. But I totally understand why for Ole Miss fans, it's infuriating to have somebody learn your lessons while losing games you should have won at your school and then going somewhere else and winning a national championship. All right. So, so last thing, um, like I said, Arizona, Arizona State are scheduled to play in seven weeks. Uh, y'all will not be the guinea pig. I believe the Big 12 uh, and the Big 10 are supposed to kick off before then. Uh, will Arizona, Arizona State play in seven weeks? And then how far along do you think they'll get in the season? It, 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 you know, will they will they play the whole thing? You know, quite honestly, I, I really think if they're able to get it off the ground, I think there's a good chance it it finishes. I, mm-hmm. I really do like I, I think the biggest obstacle, I think there's always a chance that, you know, midway through the season, several teams have some outbreaks and, you know, you just can't do it. But I, I really think the biggest obstacle is kind of the I mean, it's not all political, but the political slash optics of playing college football in the pandemic. And you saw like division two already canceled all their fall championships. And so did division three the other day. I, you know, the dominoes keep kind of falling that way. There's a lot of pressure on these power five conferences from a lot of different directions, from money standpoints, from um, health standpoints and, and all these different things. And I really do think if they can go through preseason camps and this is a big if, but if like essentially 60 something power five teams can go through preseason camps and everybody stays relatively healthy and there's not an outbreak of, of COVID because you'll have students coming back at that point. And then, you know, kind of the campus dynamic will be going on. And that's why I praise the SEC for pushing it back to September 26th because it buys you some time to see what is going to happen. I, I think if they can get it off the ground, I think there's a pretty good chance it ends. So I, I, I'm not confident at all with it, with this prediction, but I say yes and yes to your, your two questions. So David, we're full circle. Sounds here. great to me. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, you know, as weird as baseball has been, it's been refreshing to go cover sports. It's not perfect. It's it's a weird feel, and I think we'll all be grateful when when this is all over. But some sports are better than no sports, and if you can keep people healthy, and you know, because I don't want anybody to get super sick or you know, God forbid, die. Um, you know, but I, I think it is important for the morale. If 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 you can do it safely, it would be a wonderful thing. So, David, I was going to say. So the real. Go ahead. Tired, um, how many teams the week they play Alabama are going to have suddenly have a COVID outbreak? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. You know, it's suddenly then and then it comes back. It was like, oh, there was just a bunch of false positives. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, and I don't put anything past college football. Coach. <laughs> I'll be honest. Oh, absolutely. Well, there was, you know, there was all kinds of, you know, route that, that coaches would have their teams have outbreaks early to get it out of the way so that they'd be healthy for the season. There's all kinds, you know, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories and, and over, French. and over the years, I mean, you know, college coaches again have proven they'll do just about anything. So I understand. So David, I have to ask, we, we talked about it on our show um, right after it happened Last last question here before we let you go. Was the uh, Joe Kelly suspension warranted, or do you think it was ridiculous? This may be unpopular, but you, you can't throw 100 miles per hour at somebody's head on purpose. And I understand why the Dodgers are upset. I totally understand that. But you, you I understand why Ma- Rob Manfred said you wanted to set an example of that. This will not be tolerated. You just, somebody can get really hurt by that. And I understand why people enjoyed it. He missed his head. So it was funny. And the, the face was, I, I get it, but I totally understand why, especially after warning teams about retaliation for somebody to so blatantly do it. Um, I, I think it's important for baseball to send a message, even though I understand that's unpopular and the Dodgers have every right to be upset. So I'm kind of playing both sides of the fence there. I, I don't think it's ridiculous, although I understand why people are upset. That may be unsatisfying. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, it was funny to watch. I, I will agree. I did. Yeah, I did think it was funny. Um, Nick and I discussed it. Uh, ben wasn't on that show, but he would probably agree. I said that they need to let everybody in sports uh, just adopt hockey's fight rules. Because I feel like everything is, every sport has the fake tough guys that act like they want to fight, but they know that it's going to get stopped. Um, so yeah, just let everybody fight like hockey, and then as soon as one one guy hits the ground, like it's it's over. Right. Yeah, that, that may be the way. Although in baseball, people hit the ground so fast that wouldn't even by the time somebody <laughs> trips and falls on the way to somebody from the bullpen would like stumble on his way out through the outfield, and then it's over. And that's no fun for anybody. Which which is hilarious because hockey players are up for a while and they're on ice which is you know no it's it's pretty incredible the art of hockey fighting is incredible you know grabbing the jersey and then Mm -hmm. you know balancing and everything like that it's it's fascinating how they're able to stay up for as long as they do well david we thank you again uh for for joining us uh you gave us a ton of time here we appreciate you uh taking a break from your busy schedule out west uh, stay safe out there, and um, hopefully we'll have you back on, and we can we can talk some football. We can talk some regular. Absolutely, football. no, it'll be. Uh, believe me, I'm ready to watch some football. I'm 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 ready for it all. I, I hope it can happen. 
Well, that's David Brandt of the Associated Press. You can uh, find all of his lovely work on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him along as he goes to uh, to Diamondbacks, to uh, Suns, if they ever get back out west, out of the bubble, uh, at David Brandt AP on Twitter. Uh, that's going to do it here for Podcast Rebellion. For David, for Ben, for Nick, I'm Zach. This has been Podcast Rebellion. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe out there.